This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast. How are you doing? I hope that all uh, the UK listeners have emerged relatively unscathed from the series of storms that we've had over the last week here and that everything is okay. Do stay safe. Now, for this episode, I was very excited towards the end of last year to receive an email asking me if I would like to chat to anyone about Earthshot. Earthshot is a book that addresses the challenges facing the planet and explores some of the best solutions that exist to turn the tide on the environmental crisis. It's tied to um, the Earthshot Prize, which many of you might have heard of, which is an idea that came from Prince William to encourage innovation and funding of climate solutions. Here in the UK, There's been an accompanying TV series, as well as a series on Radio 4, and there was a very glitzy green carpet event, which I hasten to add I wasn't invited to, (laughs) to announce the winners for this year's prizes that gained lots and lots of media coverage. The book has been co-authored by Colin Butfield and Johnny Hughes, who are both absolute superstars, megastars, I would go so far to say, in the fields of wildlife documentary making and whose studio has produced the likes of Our Planet and A Life on Our Planet with Sir David Attenborough. So I jumped at the chance to chat to Johnny and have to confess I was more than a little starstruck to be attempting to hold a sensible conversation with someone who regularly chats to the likes of Prince William and Sir David Attenborough. I really hope I didn't embarrass myself too much. (laughs) You can always get in touch and let me know. So do have a listen, do check out the book and the series which is still on iPlayer at the time that this podcast is going out and I hope it will really stay on there. I actually made a real point of encouraging my kids to watch this series when it was on because I think it's so important for them to see the hope, to see the solutions that exist and that are in progress and the army of people out there who are devoting their lives and their really different skill sets to creating a brighter solution and a brighter future for all of us. I think a lot of climate programming can be overwhelming and anxiety inducing both for us and for our kids. But this was very much the opposite. And I really hope that this episode of the podcast gives you a flavour of that as well. So sit back. Maybe you're not sitting. Maybe you're driving. Maybe you're walking the dog. Whatever you're doing, enjoy this episode. Please do leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast. And as ever, do let me know what you think of this episode. You can drop me a line on jen at sustainableish.co.uk and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hi, Johnny. Welcome to Sustainableish. 
Thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited. I think you're you're as close to a celebrity as we've as we've got on here. So <laughs> Without, that's damning with faint praise, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I'm flattered. Yeah. Um, can you kick off by introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Johnny Hughes and I work in all sorts of media, really, all about sustainability and the journey that we must take to get ourselves in balance with this planet. So I work generally in television, but I've been a journalist in the past um, and uh, obviously wrote a book recently on, mm. on, on Earthshot um, yeah. with my, my partner in crime, Colin Butfield, works with me at Studio Silverback um, and also His Royal Highness Prince William had a yeah. bit of uh, writing in that as well. So uh, involved with the Earthshot Prize, um, but I also make films, documentaries, series um, in, in general about the planetary crisis and how to get out of it. Yeah. So how did you get into it then? Were you always somebody who was into sustainability and wildlife and that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, looking back, I guess I was. Um, I mean, I grew up uh, in the 80s, massive fan of Sir David Attenborough. I used oh. to watch, well, he wasn't a sir back then, but David yeah. Attenborough, I used to watch everything he did. And uh, when it came to going to university, I just wanted to do the closest thing to his thing. <laughs> so um, I ended up doing an ecology degree. And there were only two available at the time. Oh, wow. Needs to study ecology. Um, and I, it just seemed to fit, the description seemed to fit the kind of what we would now, now call whole organism biology. Right. That we talked about in his films. Um, and lo and behold, I loved it. And then became a teacher of biology, actually, afterwards. I used to teach A-levels and, and some sort of uh, undergraduate-level stuff. But I always wanted to get into television, as I say, to do the kind of David Attenborough thing. And um, it took a while. It's tough to get in. But eventually I went to the Natural History Unit in Bristol. um, And I worked off and on there for 10 years. And then I'm I'm now working at Silverback Films, which is a big uh, indie in Bristol. And we do, we're the people behind things like Planet Earth and Mm. Art Planet. Uh, on Netflix and I actually then got to his dream job for me obviously but I got to then produce and direct David Attenborough's um, big biopic for Netflix that came out in 2020 Mm. that was David Attenborough A Life on Our Planet um, which was wonderful. I mean like to go from I mean that is like stuff of dreams isn't it (laughs) him being your idol him being the reason why you kind of did the university degree you wanted and all that kind of thing I mean that must be absolutely do you have to pinch yourself? Yeah, I do. And, and <laughs> friends of me remind, remind me how lucky I am. Yeah. But I, I think, I mean, for me, it was just, it, it's, it was happenstance. And, uh, mm. and I, all I did was I always followed what I was interested in. And mm. I think that's a, just a general bit of good advice that I try and pass on, on to my kids. Um, rather than trying to target something, just follow what interests you and, and you'll be enthused and you, you'll get there in the end. And if you're lucky enough, you'll get paid for it as well. <laughs> well, that's always yeah always a big bonus yeah. exactly. so I mean god there's so many things uh I would love to talk to you about but we're here to talk about the Earthshot prize and the book and all that kind of thing so um talk to us about that how did that whose idea was it I know there's like you said there was involvement of David Attenborough and and um, Prince William and things like that but who somebody somewhere must have originated the idea well it was kind of those two actually it's was really it? how it started we in uh, in filming and preparing for the David Attenborough movie, we ended up alongside and kind of engaged with Prince William and his team 
uh, at Davos um, a few years ago. Mm. So the, the gathering of like the World Economic Forum gathering in Switzerland. A lot of important people turned mm. up for that, um, and it was a good place to talk about the crisis that we're in. And um, William ended up actually interviewing David on stage. Oh, wow. Davos. Yeah. Uh, and so we talked afterwards and we both aligned um, his team and our team completely independently on the new way to talk about the environment. Because for a long time, and I'm sure you're very aware of this, um, the environment has been a niche interest mm. um, for a lot of people throughout the 80s, throughout the yeah, 90s. Yeah, yeah. Really. And part of the reason for that is that it came with bad news and mm. not everyone wants extra bad news. Yes, yeah. But... A niche audience is never going to save the world. You know, mm. we need to get to the mass audience. And that's what David does very well. Yes. And of course, Prince William is of mass interest. Mm. And they both independently realised that the narrative has changed a bit of late, that we now can describe a kind of aspirational future mm -hmm. that's sustainable, that um, it's not all doom and gloom now, and, and legitimately, we can talk about ways, a path really to get to a balanced, sustainable future. Mm. It's, we have to do it soon. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And so I suppose the genius of William and his team was understanding that we have to portray the urgency of this problem, which is the thing that turns off people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but we also have to somehow capture and promote optimism as well. Mm. Because urgency plus pessimism, this is the way William talks, urgency plus pessimism leads, leads to inaction. Yes. I think that's true. Yeah. And maybe denial and things mm. like that, which are, very, which are barriers to change. But urgency plus optimism leads to action. Yeah. And I think that's really smart. And uh, they framed that, that wasn't us, but we kind of helped them with the narrative, I suppose, the fact that... Um, we do all have a big new story to talk about, um, which is how exciting is it that we're alive right now mm. uh, at the moment where it's probably, going to, retrospectively, this is probably going to be the most important time in, in our history, mm. really, um, because it's the time where we step from just grabbing what we can to actually purposefully forming a kind of balanced world. That's the... That's the it's not just the hope, it's the imperative Yes. now. Yeah, definitely. And, and the, so the idea of the Earthshot was based on the Kennedy's moonshot, this idea that, you know, actually... And, and when, you, when you look back on that, I mean, that was bonkers, wasn't it? Like, the fact mm -hmm. that he was like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go to the moon and we're going to do it in 10 years or whatever, it, you know, and, and hopefully we'll be looking back on this and thinking, well, yeah, that was... Yeah, well, I mean, I think what William thinks is that Kennedy effectively branded this mission. Mm. The urgency plus optimism yes. is the moonshot. You know, we've got to do it by the end of the decade. Well, mm. why? Well, I suppose you, you could be, you could come up with all sorts of reasons. Perhaps he was racing the Russians. Perhaps he uh, wanted to turn all of the kind of engineering gains uh, which came out of World War II um, into something more positive. Perhaps he wanted to unite the world in, in, in an adventure. Mm. Um, but that, yeah, the moonshot stands as a crazy idea that they pulled off. Mm. And it required the whole world to get involved. And I 
so that works really well for where we're at now. Yeah. Um, in fact, the, the the motivations are much more real now than they would have been for the moonshot. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where the Earthshot name comes from. Yeah. But it's five big missions that we all need to galvanise around, effectively. And how did you come up with those? Because sometimes it's it feels quite difficult when you're talking about the climate, but it's not just the climate, is it? Because you've got five things and one of them is fix our climate and then you've got oceans and you've got air and things like that. And it's very kind of it's everything but sometimes people get distracted not distracted but you know like sometimes oh, yeah. people get criticized for focusing on one thing but actually I don't think it really matters as long as we're all kind of doing something um but how did you come up with those five key areas um well you're right there's a real re- there's a real need to simplify the situation because mm. uh, people can get once they've accepted there's an issue mm. and it is quite terrifying I it's suppose. overwhelming isn't it and I can understand why a lot of people yeah almost you sort of peer under the curtains and then think do you know what and just like walk away again because yeah. it's once you've unpacked it you can't pack it up again and not oh, know no, it. exactly or or grab hold of one thing and just say this is my bit this is what I'm going yes. to do yeah. um, which is as you say very constructive but one of the best things we thought we could do for people is to simplify mm. the planetary crisis into five kind of to-do mm. items. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a short to-do list. I was going to say, was that quite hard to make it just five, though? Because there's so much, you know, <laughs> so much, yeah. I'm laughing as I say it, so much bad stuff going on. But you know, <laughs> it, it is really hard. Um, and it, they're not, it isn't exhaustive, let's face it. There'll yes, be other yeah. things on top as well. I mean, we kind of need to sort out the, the world's finance system, for mm, example. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but as broad graspable goals mm. they're they're really effective and pretty comprehensive mm. so they're good things to get behind and and strive towards so run us through those five categories yes so uh, in no particular order they are uh, protect and restore nature fix our climate mm-hmm. revive our oceans um, build a waste-free world mm. and clean our air yeah so with the idea with that, I can't believe that there are people who won't have heard of um, Earthshot because it, you know, it was on the on mainstream primetime telly, wasn't it? it um, there was a lovely series on um, Radio 4 and, you know, it was it's kind of been everywhere. Um, but the idea was that so there's prizes up for grabs. It makes it sound like a game show. Um, yeah. But there's is it five million pound prizes every year for the next 10 years? That's right, yeah. So it's a bit like a Nobel Prize ceremony, but mm. it's much more um, public-facing than that, really. And we had the first one in October this yeah. year. Uh, nice and glitzy. They want it to be glamorous um, because the people that we're talking about are heroes, really. Mm. And I think, again, it's about motivation. They, they, these, the winners and the finalists are all examples of the right kind of thinking. Mm. They are What we're trying to do is reward people. Sometimes it's really small like individual actions or mm. um, communities that have got together and done something. Sometimes it's entire nations that have mm. done something that we ought to herald as positive and yes. uh, constructive and, you know, action that we ought to reward really. So it, it's all about uh, enabling people to feel that they can be part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Rather yeah. Than just part of the problem. Yes. 
And so when you when you first um, William and I feel really really that feels really improper calling them William and David. They had this conversation <laughs> no. um, and came up with this idea. And then was it sort of relatively difficult the first time going out and sort of inviting people to apply because people are like, well, what is this? I would imagine next year you'll probably already got loads of people applying for it because it's had all this press and all this publicity. But you know, was it? I imagine it's a bit like the first time on Bake Off, people were like, I don't, I don't know what this is. And now, you know, <laughs> was that, how did you go about getting people to? Um... Yeah, well, you're probably true. You're probably right about that. But the, actually the system is not an application process. Oh, okay. It's a nomination process. Ah. So there are, what they did was they, uh, the Earthshot Prize um, as a project, which I'm kind of on the periphery of because I'm involved in television around it. Mm. But uh, the project itself, reached out to hundreds of uh, organizations around the world. Um, sometimes they're academic institutions, sometimes they're even companies that mm. are involved in this area, sometimes they're sort of NGOs. Mm. Approached all these people and said, could you search out or nominate um, projects and individuals, communities, et cetera, that you feel are uh, materially helping mm. uh, in achieving these five big goals? Yeah. And I think, you know, the, because it was the first time, uh, there was probably a lot of discussion uh, about exactly what qualifies. as. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's been a lot of learning this year. Yeah. Um, but I think from now on, well, they'll be refined all the time, all the way through oh. the 10 years. But it, generally, we're not saying this one thing, yeah. revive our oceans. Yeah, we're sure. saying that this one thing has a scalable universal yeah. positive impact yeah. uh, in achieving that goal and were you involved like as you said you're sort of on the periphery of it you were involved in the the um television program but were you involved in that sort of um judging process at all no I wasn't part of the judging process um so what happened was the once all the nominations came in it went through a kind of due diligence process mm. to make sure that each of them was uh, would qualify yeah um and was scalable and was simple and was mm. a kind of universal um, idea. Um, and then that was narrowed down again um, by a sort of research team. And then a, quite a, a number of them were presented to the prize council member team. And the prize council members include William and David, um, but also people like Christiana Figueres and Jack Ma, the tech giant, and... Right. Um, Kate Blanchett, who volunteered okay, help, yeah. and Shakira, and Danny Alves, the footballer. Quite a bunch of different people, yes. um, all, of, all of whom are exceptional in their own capacity. Um, but, the, you know, the breadth of their experience is on purpose because mm. we want people to represent popular culture and science and engineering and business. And mm. there's people from all walks of life in that prize council. And they got together, actually virtually this time. Yes, yeah. Um, and worked it all out and sort of narrowed it down to three finalists per Earthshot Prize. Mm. And ultimately, they had to identify the winner as well. Yeah. And so in the, in the book, is it just those finalists that, you're, that you sort of discuss or do, do you bring in loads of all the different projects that you sort of were exposed to almost? Yes, but it's not just the finalists. The book is very much a handbook to the whole Earthshot Prize. Yeah project um, and it kind of breaks down into three parts one is describing but also um, contextualizing the problems we face mm. and that that involves stories of lots of people around the, the world what we try to do in the book and in the series is 
humanize both yeah. the problems and, and the solutions because yeah. we're all involved in them. You know, it's not, it's easy to say and, and easy to, I suppose, conceptualize, but it's not true that there's loads of villains out there, baddies mm. who want to destroy the planet. Every one of us are involved in the problems. Mm. You know, um, every time we eat a beef burger, every yeah, time yeah. we get in our cars, every time we do a pension contribution. Yes, yeah. We are, the whole system, unfortunately, is at yeah. odds with the planet. So we're not, we're not villains. We're just sort of accidentally participating. Yes, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and thinks, okay, how much can I, I bruise off the planet, planet no, today? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what we try to do in, in the book uh, and the series is, is find some of these stories that stand for this conflict that we all feel. Mm. Um, so we, we feature a palm oil farmer in, in Borneo, for example, who's obsessed with conservation of orangutans. And uh, we talk to a farmer in Australia who is in the outback, who's suffering from 10 years of drought, who now understands that she's involved with creating that drought. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, for example, a lady in the Maldives whose job is to take um, tourists around the coral reefs and, of course, understands that they're dying from mm. fossil fuels. Which are getting those tourists there. <laughs> are getting those tourists to the Maldives. We're all involved in this conflict and we yeah. have to fess up to that and put our hands up. And actually, when you do that, you realise that there aren't really baddies out there. It actually empowers us because it means that we can make a difference to that. We can change that situation if we mm. want to. And likewise, you know, the second part is about solutions. Again, we're talking through the stories of individuals mm. uh, and communities. So there's a fantastic... And these are not finalists uh, for this year's prize. Mm. They might be in the future, I suppose, but that wasn't the point. We were, we were evidencing the everyday heroes out there um, that are finding a way forward. So there's a fantastic story from a community in southern, in Baja, California, which is in Mexico. And they're a fishing community, and they were year on year finding towards the millennium that they were running out of fish stock. Mm. Um, partly this was because international trawlers were coming in, grabbing a few. But also, they were just, their population was growing, and they were just overfishing. Mm. And that's such a common thing around the yes, world. Yeah. So marine scientists were visiting, and they said, well, what we want to do is have a no-fish zone. Mm. Now, to, you say that to a bunch of fishermen, and they just think you're talking. Well, and, and whose livelihood and whose community depends on. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. You, what, no, how, how can we possibly have a no-fish zone? Yeah. How would that help? Yes. Um, <laughs> but they said, well, if you create a no-fish zone, the way fish work is they produce way too many babies. Right. And if you, but they do it only when they get to a certain size. So you want big mama fish. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Millions of baby fish, mm. and then they'll spill over into the places where you can fish. That's the way fish work. Wow, yeah. Um, now, the community had to have faith to follow that. Mm. They also had to have support because they were about to enter a starvation period for a yeah. while. And so actually the Mexican government gave them, it wasn't much, but it was kind of food vouchers. Right. For 10 years, they got behind them. Ten years later, um, the, res the result is absolutely incredible. They have got 400% more uh, fish wow. in their waters, and that's the places where they can fish. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then the no-fish zone is now a marine protected area, and they've got people coming in to scuba dive it. So they've got oh, a whole, wow. yeah, yeah, got a whole new uh, yeah. where, you know, route of income. So 
and, and there is that's a perfect example of a scalable universe. Yes, that can be replicated. You do that in communities around the world, and we'll all boost our fish populations. Yeah, all um, it will will get into balance. Yeah, you know, you were saying, oh, like the government needed to give them some support, and just thinking about the moonshot prize as well. You know, the fact that that was Kennedy, and he was the president, and there was the political will there. How how important do you think? I mean, we just come off the back of COP as well. Like how important is that political will and can we do it without it yeah no it's huge you can't no you can't you it's a real shuffle this you have to shuffle three things at once one is political will one is um the interests of business and the third is public uh desire Mm, mm. public awareness yes but you have to have the public wanting change as well yeah or at least not opposing it Mm. and those three things are related. And in fact, there's theories of change out there that suggest that if you first turn your public aware and then in, increase their wish for change, mm, mm. that's when politicians react. Yes. They want to get votes. That's yes. when business leaders react because yes. they want to get sales. Yes. And so this is why I think actually a campaign like the Earthshot Prize is so important because it's it's in the cultural space, there's yes. books, there's films, there's um, prize giving. And what it's doing is it's nudging on yeah. uh, public desire. And yeah. if that's what you need to do to drive everything, we'll do it. And I think that's, you know, this is where it becomes, I mean, obviously the ideal thing would be that, you know, Boris and Biden and, and uh, you know, um, leaders all around the world stand up and say, right, you know, I know they stand up and say this, but actually put the political will and the money behind it. But um when people say, oh, it's not all on, you know, we, we put too much emphasis on individual action, but actually I think we're all part of the system and we're all, um, we all have that voice. And, and as you say, if, if we can be the ones that are then calling for, pushing for, driving that change. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, um, the, the political systems will always be the slowest to react. So actually the fact that they are now starting yeah. to move is great and we yeah. need to kind of keep the, keep the pressure on. But in some ways that's quite empowering that actually we can affect that, hopefully. And we have to be reminded of that, don't we? Because right now in the UK, we're wondering, you know, what on earth we can do. Mm. Are we, is it really even worth engaging in politics? Yes. You know, we're probably worried about because what influence can mm. But I really think, and there's all sorts of evidence to, to show, sociology evidence, um, to demonstrate that those individual actions are really important. You know, mm. there's people going out and doing the beach cleans and those people going out and planting trees and making that slight extra difference. Yeah. yeah. What it does is it, it normalises that behaviour. And, and, and being comes, seen to be doing it is really important as well, isn't being it? Being seen to be yeah. doing about it, yeah, and shouting about it. And, uh, yeah, when, when something becomes normal, it's mass. And when it's yeah. mass, it's really interesting to politicians and yeah. business leaders. So... Um, yeah, that's, that is all worth doing, even though sometimes it might not feel like it. <laughs> and that's why I think that, you know, the programmes that you've, you've been making have been so important and it's been so heartening to kind of see that, that actually they've been on prime time, you know, on the mainstream yeah. channels yeah. when families would ordinarily be sitting down to watch whatever and they're sit- now sitting down to watch these programmes. It's not just some little niche thing tucked away on BBC Two somewhere at 11 o'clock, you know, it's, it's kind of there and it becomes 
I think one of the, the, the useful things about COP and one of the great things about programmes like this is it almost gives people those, I know we don't really have water cooler moments anymore in offices because of working from home and things, but it gives people those excuses almost to have these conversations. It gave certainly, um, you know, Earthshot, I think, and COP gave schools the opportunities to have assemblies around this and to create their own school Earthshot prizes and things like that. And making it, as you said, normal and mainstream and because we see the stats and the studies that say so many people are worried about the climate, but we wouldn't know that from the conversations that we're having. So the more opportunities and excuses we have to have these conversations, I think is the better, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, it's just a shame that it's taken this long to become, because mm. we've all, I'm sure you as well, have been banging this drum for quite a long time. So it's a slow process. It feels like turning a tanker around. Yes. But actually, when you look back, it's happening in a couple of decades, yes. which is actually quite quick. And even if you look back, I think five years, the the change in the, well, even as just you just said, the change in the programming, the fact that, you know, David Attenborough has been able to come out and create these really impactful programs that actually don't shy away from it and just say, right. this is it, this is where we are. And coming from such a trusted voice in on prime time, you know, that's really shifted the narrative as well, I think. Yes, exactly. And and we and I can tell you that, you know, we couldn't get films like this. Yeah. Well, we couldn't get conservation films past commissioners um, mm. even 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and that's because it was niche. You know, the, the fact that it's now we can talk about a new type of mm. ending story completely transforms who's happy to engage with it. Yeah. You know, the third part of this um, book is... Uh, because as I say, it's designed to be a handbook to go alongside the project for, for 10 years. The third part is all about what individuals can do. Mm. We, we don't touch on that in the, in the, in the films, um, but the book has got a whole section on it. Um, that's partly because if you're talking to a global audience, it's really difficult to narrow down exactly what people can do because different things are open to different people yes. around the world. But if you're, if you're just looking at, say, the UK public, um, you can come up with a list uh, mm. of good ideas. And, and we've organised them, of course, by Earthshot. So mm. yeah. how can you help to protect and restore nature? How can you help to clean our air? Yeah. Um, it goes down to as an individual, as a, as a family, um, and then also uh, as a community as well. Yeah, and I love that you've done that because I think very often um, it can feel like our individual actions are inconsequential in the grand scheme of things you know does it really matter if I turn my lights off or if I do that and the other but then actually we all forget that we are part of workplaces schools communities and that's actually where we can really reach out and start to have a bigger impact and the fact that you showcased a lot of a lot of the projects that you talk about in the book are you know one individual making a stand and getting a community around them I mean that's so powerful isn't it and we often think that we've got to be David or William or Greta or somebody to kind of be having an impact, but actually we can all be that that influence oh, yeah. in our own communities. And who was Greta, of course? Greta. Yes, just... exactly. Yeah, <laughs> one person who decided she yeah she was going to make a stand. Yeah. But I think also there's a really important concept in there, which is that you don't have to do it all by the end of today. Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, we've only got ten years, but we've also got ten years. Yeah, yeah. but it's ten years, and yeah. you know, if you look at say. Uh, national targets for reducing carbon they break it down to a seven percent decrease every year and that's that's compounded 
Yeah. So 7% every year over 10 years makes an enormous difference. Mm. Now, if you said to a family, can you reduce your carbon impact by 7% a year? Yes. That's a piece of cake. Yeah. That's not even hard. Yes. <laughs> you know, if they have if they have veggie meals twice a week, um, if they get public transport a bit more, if they go to their energy provider and make sure they're on a renewable tariff, yes. they're already knocking off the first two or three years. Without yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, though, definitely those those low hanging fruit things, those those first things uh, are easier, and then hopefully yeah. that's then got you into the swing of it and the momentum, and and uh, at the same time remembering, I guess, that in three years' time, it might be much easier, sort of culturally, societally, whatever, to make yes. those next changes because they will be so much more mainstream and normal, and they'll yeah. be able to help a bit. This is why we feel it gathering momentum mm. because that thing of raising public desire getting the politicians to react, getting the business people to react, that feeds itself. Um, And so, you know, if you look at the graphs of, say, deforestation or carbon emissions or uh, biodiversity loss, you you get this thing called the hockey stick Mm. where it goes right, it feels exponential. Yes. Therefore out of control, which of course it is. But what's interesting is that you can get exponential gains as well. Right. And in fact, we're going to rely on those. Mm. So uh, like I say, this 7% gain every year, that actually turns into an exponential curve. And if we get everybody, everybody yeah. doing it. And I think you talked about that, you know, the fact that these things feed each other. I always find as well, sort of when I'm talking to, to my audience or talking to friends and things, those first changes often feel the hardest because there's some kind of psychological hump I think isn't there that we have to go over and but then they actually start to you know like you say you do two veggie meals a week and you think actually that wasn't that bad and and the kids ate it and you know what beans on toast counts as veggie and all those kind you know and then you're like oh well maybe I can do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing yeah and it's really energizing Mm. what what actually is happening is you start to identify with that you know you start saying well yeah I am one of those people that does that and yes and labels are really but in a positive way because I think for so long, as you said, oh, it's been so yeah. niche and you've been one of those people over there in the corner weaving exactly. their own yogurt, you know, and not really wanting to to aspire to that. And now, hopefully, with 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 the likes of um, you know William and people like that, making it aspirational almost to be doing to be seen to be doing those things is really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we're all going along that path together. Some people mm. are early adopters. You know, yes. some people have been living this life for a long time. And it was hard back then. Yes. But other people are a part of the, the the mass engagement. And then, as you say, it gets easier because laws come along that help. Um, mm. you know, grants come along that help. Yes. And uh, companies just keep coming out with new stuff that will just enable you to lose your, you know, reduce your impact without pain. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'm sure you've been asked this a bajillion times, but what what were some of your standout favourite projects? Um, well, I do love that that Mexican community by the sea yes. um, because it's so simple and everyone's won at the end of it. It's a you know, massive gain. Yeah. Um, in the actual finalists, um, yeah, that's really interesting because the difference is scale. So you've got that mm. one with uh, the young girl in India who came up with the I love that. One. Iron yeah. I think she caught everyone's heart, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. And everyone says, you know, a solar powered ironing cart's going to save the world. No. Yeah. But the idea that someone really young can go out and make a success of something. I mean, that's almost a school project, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah, I, oh, I've was. got an idea and, and yeah, making yeah. it happen. Phenomenal. Yeah. So it's more, you know, she represents that kind of innovation. 
uh, mm. that anyone could apply. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's simple. So sorry, people who, we're, we're, we're talking about this because we both, you know, are relatively familiar with it, you more than me, but for people who haven't um, heard that story, can you just briefly explain what she did? Yeah, so she, um, she's called Venetia and she um, lived in a city in, in um, India, like every other city in India, they, there are people who do your ironing on the street and they tend to do it with charcoal. And the charcoal, uh, one, re- results in deforestation because they're, make, they're using the wood to make the charcoal, but also it has an issue locally with the air pollution. Mm. Um, and so she just came up with, as you, as you say, for a school project, with the idea of switching out the charcoal as the source of energy for the ironing with uh, solar panels, which were now cheap enough, as you say, right. easier yeah, over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for even vendors of ironing in India to potentially afford. And so she's invented this solar-powered ironing cart that um, actually mobilises them because normally they're just sat in the corner on the street. Right. So they can now move around. They can charge people's phones for a charge. Oh, amazing, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a phone charger's <laughs> capacity. Um, but also they go around ironing with solar power, uh, everyone's shirts, dresses, etc. Yeah. Um, and yes, you don't find those in Birmingham or... Yes. In, yeah, I mean, <laughs> really. just the concept is bonkers, isn't it, to us? Just like, really? No, so it was an Indian problem, but mm. I think it's more the uh, idea to use something infinite, like renewable yeah. energy, mm. to replace something finite, like charcoal, yes. um, within a culture. That was the idea. Yeah. And yeah. we can all take that kind of thought and, and apply it to our own things. Yeah, yeah. And any other that sort of spring to mind? Well, yeah, so I was going to say there's, there's individuals like her that are inspirational all the way to entire nations. So Costa Rica yes. won the award for um, Protect and Restore Nature because... Now, there was obviously no nepotism there with Christina Figueres <laughs> being on the panel because she is Costa Rican. No, there, there, there wasn't. They must have... I wasn't in the room when it happened, but they must have had to sort of... Yes. ...on her or something. But, um, yeah, no, there wasn't. Now... It is, you know, genuinely a, a leader in mm. a new approach to governance and as well as reforesting the entire country, which is what they've done. They've actually increased, you know, their story is that um, up until the 1980s, there was an awful lot of deforestation going on, as there is in most countries. Mm. Um, and they, it is a forested country and it dropped down to 25% cover. And in the last 25 years, they brought it back up to... 50% cover, so it's now mm-hmm. half covered with jungle. Yeah. yeah. Um, magnificent jungle as well. It's a wonderful place. And they've totally reorganized their economy around that so that now they, they they thrive on tourism. And So how did they do that? How did they make that switch? Did they start paying people to reforest rather than deforest? They did. They, they basically reorganized their budget. They actually mm. canceled their army. They thought, well, I, we can't defend ourselves anyway. <laughs> yeah. So what's the point? We, what we'll do is we'll do a sort of uh, diplomacy effort <laughs> mm. and, and we'll spend our taxes differently and they started paying people like landowners um money and some grants for restoring the forest with native trees and it worked really well and, and the speed at which this thing happens i think is part of the story so um like i say 25 years is what it took to double the amount of forest on the entire but that's brave <laughs> isn't it 25 years ago to do yeah. that when it wasn't we weren't where we are now in terms of the conversations that we were happening in terms of people's awareness to, to get that through parliament, to get that through, you know, to get the, the nation behind it and things. I mean, that must have taken some real. It is. And it's that sort of clear thinking that we're rewarding, really. Yeah. 
price. And of course, they don't need a million pounds like other people might need. Yes, yeah. A million pounds is not a kind of token, a voucher. What it is, is it's, um, it will only be given upon a kind of plan. Right. Uh, and so Costa to do a lot of work assisting other nations mm. in their thinking. Um, and so you've got a national scale response, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is incredible because they've made a huge success of it. And the people of Costa Rica, there's some great surveys about standard of living and happiness, mm. um, you know, development and all that kind of thing. And Costa Rica is right at the top of all of those. It's, yeah. it's winning the, the development um, yes. race. And so they've got a lot to teach other people. Yes, yeah, 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 definitely. So through your career, you must have seen huge changes in the natural world. And I would imagine some incredibly heartbreaking changes. Like, where does this now leave you feeling? Yeah, that's the, that's the trouble. You're trying to weigh up all the grim news with all the hope um, mm. and see which wins. And it doesn't all, you know, hope doesn't always win. On yeah. a day basis. Yes. <laughs> um, but we need it. Yeah. You know, I mean, Christiana, you mentioned, um, she says we are obliged to be optimistic. Mm. Yes. Because otherwise we don't do anything. Yes. And a reason for hope for me is that human beings the reason we're in this mess actually is because we're amazing at solving problems we face mm. you know, the reason we have overfished the seas is because we've developed technology that allows us to fish yeah. somewhere. yeah <laughs> um we have you know create we have we're incredibly creative we're incredibly innovative um we're the smartest problem solvers ever to have evolved um on this planet and so faced with the problem and we have that perception as well we, we can see the problem coming yeah you know um maybe a little bit too late mm. but we can um we should be able to solve it we, we have the solutions actually yes. we're long down the line um if you look at you know the first thing is to work out what the problems are and we've done all that yeah, yeah. Is, to, is to work out what the solutions are and we're two-thirds of the way down that yes yeah <laughs> and the next bit is to put them in place mm. and you know we're starting that yeah. Um, so it's the rollout more than anything that we need mm. to get moving. But a lot of commentators are saying it's it's unavoidable now that there is a massive revolution coming. We right. we had the digital revolution in the '90s and the noughties, and it felt big, right? We were all involved with it. We went from not being able to do this kind of thing, yes, to yeah, being yeah. able to do this kind of thing, yeah. Um, very swiftly, and it was easy to adapt to it. I remember being at uni and you know having a pager for my mum and dad to be able to contact me because there was no, <laughs> I didn't have a mobile. I mean, how mental is that? Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, when I went to uni, which was before you, um, we were marched into a, the computer science block and um, spent an hour typing out something on a piece of paper into a yeah micro yeah uh, computer as we called them and. It, then at the end it said say anything you want and I was like what does that mean he said well say hello or something so I wrote hello pressed the return and it appeared on the screen of the person next to me oh that, that was an email yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I thought what's the point of that it's going to take yeah. ages to say hello yeah. but um anyway you know it happens and I'm not yeah. that old it happens very yeah. swiftly well the next revolution the next what they call wave of innovation is going to be all about sustainability. How to mm. turn things that we do from being something we can't do forever 
right. things that we can do forever. Yeah. Um, and it, it's going to work right across the board, and people are going to make millions doing it. Mm. Um, and and that's hitting us. Well, it's already started. I mean, you'd you'd have to say the fact that I'm in, in the countryside and around me there are fields of solar panels mm. and elephant grass, as well as the other thing there are right. around me, um, is evidence that you know this wave is already arriving. Yeah. So um, yeah. And, and we can get exponential gains out of that. So, you know, there are plenty of rational reasons to be optimistic, but we can't sit on our laurels. We can't yeah. just wait for it to happen. We've got to push for it to happen. Yeah. And I think one of the, you know, I made a real point of, of trying to sit down with the kids and watch the Earthshot programmes because my kids are 13 and 10. And so many programmes and, or, you know, that the, what we hear about this issue is, often very doom and gloom and quite paralyzing. And I imagine for kids really adds to that, you know, uh, sense of eco-anxiety, well, it adds to my eco-anxiety. The fact yeah. that this was so solutions focused and you could say to the kids, look, there are these amazing people out there doing all these amazing things. Actually, you could be one of these amazing people doing one of these amazing things. I thought that was just such a, um, an optimistic way of, of framing it and introducing it and, and letting the kids see that there are, or letting everyone see that there are these solutions and so many, so many of them. Um, and as you say, so many that are scalable and replicable and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, really positive experience. So thank you for that. Oh no, that's, that's the way to talk about it now, I think, because it's, it's not false hope. It's, it's yes. genuine. Yeah. Um, and that's the way we're going to get out of it. And we haven't seen the best ideas yet. So your kids are absolutely up for um, <laughs> uh, coming out with the best ones. Yeah. And as I said to you, I mean, I said to, um, I don't know if I've, I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, my youngest is now year six and they get little responsibilities to do. And he was like one of his is, is um, STEM. And, and there was just this sort of sentence tacked onto the end of the list of sort of things they had to do about sustainability. And I was like, you need to go in, you need to tell them that you're going to do a school Earthshot prize and, you know, get everybody around it and stuff. And he was like, yeah, shut up, mummy. I'm just not going to be the one who suggests that. But <laughs> I know that the schools you have done that. So, you know, not only is there the, the impact of, and it, this is the same with all um, sustainability actions, I think there's the impact of the actual Earthshot project itself, but all these ripples that are spreading out that you guys might never even hear about that mean that other people are getting infused and engaged and empowered around yeah. as well. And do you know how, I mean, that's so exciting. They, they are proactively now creating a kind of schools programme for Earthshot Prize. Amazing. So that hopefully will be easier to adopt for people. But yeah, we've heard all sorts of stories of um, heads just deciding, oh, we're going to organise ourselves around these five things. Yes. And, and that's what I love about them. They're, they're five simple things. You can work out how to tap into them. It could yes. be you as an individual or a family or a community or a school which is a community um or it could of course be big corporations yes it could be um you know any any kind of organization any uh, hobby group any yes. evening class it doesn't really matter um you, you can all come up with ways in which you can participate and and help yeah i think that that breaking it down does make it really helpful doesn't it because they become very tangible other rather than we're going to do uh, quote sustainability or you know that feels yeah. like oh god where do we even start and it's like oh we'll go and do a litter pick and they're like oh now what else do we do whereas you've got these five things and you know as he said as a school you can look at I mean god idling cars at pick up and buses and things like that you know really things that you can quite tangibly um sort of have an impact on yeah so how has it or has it changed what you do individually as a family 
Yeah, well, certainly our, you know, being, talk about this non-stop over the last four yeah. years. Um, yeah, how old are your kids? Are they? Um, they're older. My youngest is 16. So okay. Um, yeah, my wife is a real driver behind this as well. And she's, yeah. on paper, she's got, you know, no mega involvement with the environmental movement like I might have professionally. But um, yeah, which is terrific. So yeah, we've changed hugely. I mean, we I turned flexitarian. Mm. a few years ago and then I went fully veggie um plus fish I do eat sustainable fish um, yeah. about two years ago yeah and that's become completely ordinary and normal yes, now. yeah 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 at all in fact I massively prefer it for all sorts of reasons and then um yeah we've managed to swap cars over the years so that they're better I've now got an electric mini which I'm I oh yeah with. yeah um <laughs> and like you said you know we can it gets easier over time. So mm. putting a renewable tariff on your house is not a problem at all these days. doesn't cost any more. Switching your pension to ethical, mm. which mm. not everyone thinks about, but no. um, pensions own something like a quarter of the shares on earth. Oh, I was reading something. It's like, it's trillions and trillions of dollars, isn't it, that um, yeah. pensions are invested in. I think just in the UK, it's something like three, I want to say three trillion, but it might be three billion. Oh, it's it a lot well of money. <laughs> it could well be. Yeah, we did an event. Um, we made a special version the Our Planet series, like a short film for the finance community. And we did an event in the city of London. I think I've seen that. It's, what's the film called? I can't remember. It's... Too Big to Fail. It's That's called. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, ah, yeah, it's well great. Done. Okay, yeah. nice. Yeah. You got hold of it. Well, it's mainly for, for sort of internal business use. Mm. Um, and it's been shown by a lot of financial institutions to their staff. And then all the staff say, okay, CEO, what, what are we going to do about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people... Uh, have been affected by it, which is tremendous. And there was a big kind of launch with Mark Carney and um, uh, Richard Curtis was there. And yeah, Richard Curtis people. is doing a lot with Make My Money Matter, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. David Attenborough was there as well. And somebody said that the people in this room, there were about 300 people in that room, the people in that room managed $10 trillion. <laughs> what? So you realise that reaching everyone is important. But some people we need to reach more yeah. than <laughs> And, uh, I mean, they, they will only ever do what their customers require them to do. I mean, they, can, they do do a kind of subtle leading job. Mm, that's mm. But, yeah, something like changing your pension, which you can usually do on a website these days, from the regular pension to an ethical pension, because yeah. they don't invest in fossil fuels, they don't invest in arms as well. Mm. But um, when you make those choices, it might sound like a no-brainer, why wouldn't you? For starters, your pension it doesn't earn any less money. Yeah, so about that um, generally, um, and I, I would suspect with this revolution coming, it's going to go up. I just yeah, said that. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Advice. But yeah. also, it just massively changes the market of shares. Yeah, yeah. And you don't realize you can do that, but you can. I know, and I remember I interviewed the guys from Make My Money Matter, and I think one of the things they've got on their website is like this template letter to send to pension companies asking them, you know, where their pensions are invested and stuff. And I was like, come on, do template letters really make a difference? And they were like, do you know what? Pensions are so dull that nobody ever contacts their pension provider. So the fact that even though even though it's a template letter, people are doing this is making them sit up and really kind of pay attention and, and think about it. So, um, yeah, as you said, it's dull and it's grown up and it's something we don't think about, but it's a massively impactful thing. And, and you could do it in a lunch in a lunch break. Yeah, because often what you can do as well, isn't it, rather than it, it, I think it is a bit of a pain to move actual whole pension providers, but you can often move within your pension provider to their 
ethical part, can't you? Which yeah, is because you know, the, the big pension providers have seen this coming, so they do off most of them offer ethical yes. funds um, these days. So yeah, you could probably do it in your lunch break if you know your password. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly that's the hardest thing isn't it it's all that life admin stuff <laughs> um brilliant so what's what's next on the horizon for you guys or for, and for silverback and for you well we've had a really busy year we did the earthship prize series uh which kicked that off um mm. we did a series for youtube um on climate justice called seat at the table oh did you my friend um uh this is completely irrelevant to anybody listening to the podcast uh, my friend was involved in producing one of those i think so yeah oh Okay, brilliant. Well, yeah, no. So I've watched. I've watched the first one, and I need to watch the others. But they're a great watch as well, aren't they? Because they very much humanise it, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, Jack Harris presents it, and he's mm. fantastic. And um, well, whoever they are, your friend, they did a sterling job because it was really, <laughs> really tough. The you know the, the pandemic was. Oh God! It, yeah, she was trying to ruin it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we got it done, and the I think the end of the series is exceptional. They end up at um, you know, Jack walks into the cop. And actually, well, the other thing we were doing was uh, David Attenborough's opening ceremony speech of COP. Yeah. We did that this year wow. with him. And uh, you will see seat at the table shots within that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, because we wanted to represent people who don't get a voice. Yes. Um, and they set up an amazing room at, at COP, the seat at the table room, with all these chairs that had, that had been used by the interview mm, yes, yeah. around the world. They were all on the walls there. And... Um, uh, we had Obama in there um, conducting a meeting. Wow. And Mark Carney came in and conducted a meeting. Yeah. Um, and Alex Sharma came in. So it really felt like we were there and we were we had a presence. Um, yeah. But obviously all of that has occupied us entirely. Yes. So we've yes. just come out the other end of all of this and looked up, this is Colin and I, and thought, oh, what are we doing next? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're working on quite a few things. Uh, there's... You know, we need to be telling this story constantly for the next mm. 10 years, working out the best way of doing it, really. Yes. Uh, there'll yeah. be more Earth Short Prize stuff because it's going to go on for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want it to build and build. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, so much to talk about. I think the yeah. next two big, two big things we've touched on quite a lot in this chat. Um, next two big things to talk about fossil fuels, everyone gets now, I think. Mm. I think we're kind of moving past that and, you know, we're engaged in that. The two big things we need to talk about are two Fs finance and food yes um because those are probably the next two big things on the list that will make the biggest difference and actually quite excitingly two things that we can we can all make a difference on um you know so we we've talked about moving pensions but you know food waste and you talked about being flexitarian and things like that actually they they do take a massive chunk out of your footprint and and can be done relatively easily i mean i really want to turn this into a game yes I think people would get really excited if it was a, a game app and uh, you scored basically yeah. when you made choices and and, uh, and and your footprint goes down and the like fantasy works. football league, but um, absolutely yeah. <laughs> fantasy planet Earth. I thought about yeah. it this week. Um, right, if you get that trademark, you got to sign me. <laughs> um, yeah, and because. It is a game. It's the biggest game we've ever played as a yeah. species. And yeah. there's a bad outcome if we get it wrong. We've we got to win this. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. And, you know, thank you for the, the programmes that, that you make and that you and Colin make together. And uh, I don't, like I say, there's the fact that they have 
like every time one of them's on telly, I'm literally on social media going, it's on mainstream media. This is amazing. And it's being yeah. talked about. And, you know, now say to somebody, did you watch X last night? And I, you know, and um, wasn't it great to see and things like that. So they, they are so important, I think. So thank you so much for doing that. Well, thank you, Jen, for doing this. No problem. And um, yeah, well, may, may or may not see you again at some point in the future. Yeah, I hope to. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you. been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.